Hello and welcome to the Cinema Judge. To all my regulars out there, welcome back. Now, if you're new to the show, let me briefly tell you what we do here. We love movies. We like to share movies with you. The studios, they send us movie clips, interviews, on-set footage, world premiere stuff. We put it together to make one cohesive infomercial, for lack of a better word, and we give it to you. I'm the judge, and you're the jury. I'm not going to tell you not to see a movie or even to see a movie. I'm going to give you the facts because any movie is somebody's favorite movie. I consider this a movie oasis. Our worlds are busy and crazy and just noisy. I want to provide a world just for a little bit. You can come and just listen and just escape all the noise and just say, do I want to see this movie or not? Without me yelling about Hollywood, complaining about this person or anything like that. Because we all walk different paths. That's our goal here. I look at it this way. We all want to spend our hard-earned money wisely. Because we all want the same thing. An enjoyable movie experience. Now approach the bench today. We have the new M. Night movie, Knock at the Cabin. Now let me break this down for you in a brief synopsis. While vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse. What they want? Something that family has to sacrifice one of them or the whole world's going to come to an end. And every time they say no, another world event happens indicating you better make a choice or we're all over. And that's just one heck of a situation to put yourself into. What would you do? Here's a trailer for Knock at the Cabin. Hi there. Can I talk to you for a little bit? You have to come inside right now. There were four of them. What did we say? You shouldn't make things up when we're talking about... Can you open the door, please? They're breaking in! I got you, baby. We're not here to hurt you. But you have to stay here in the cabin with us. Families throughout history have been chosen to make this decision. Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you to prevent the apocalypse. We're not sacrificing anyone. For every no you give us, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. It's really happening. Sweetheart, close your eyes. Will you make a choice? You have to somehow trust us. We're normal people just like you. It doesn't matter. None of us believe you. We will never choose anyone. the rule is that no one's allowed to leave until you choose do you really think it's all just a coincidence i have to believe that my son is gonna die his name is charlie as a mother i am begging you you're the only one who can stop this andrew i saw something there was something in the light and i feel it now (laughs) i'm taking my 
family, and I'm leaving. If you fail to choose, the world will perish. We've been given the chance to decide the fate of everyone. Time's running out on the world. I'm scared. There is nothing more flawed and perfect in this world than our family. Please make a choice. Always together. Always together. I will ask for the last time. Will you make a choice? Now that was the trailer for Knock at the Cabin. Now this is directed by M. Night Shyamalan. And just for starters, look at M. Night's career when he first started off. From the 1999 film, groundbreaking, just jumped onto the scene with the sixth sense. And he raised a bar. And that's that's sometimes a tough thing about being a director when your first major film is such a phenomenon. It's always hard to follow it up. But he's made some incredible films since. Unbreakable, Signs, The Village, Split, Glass, Old, and I could go on and on. And it stars Dave Batista. Now you might know Dave from Guardians of the Galaxy, Glass Onion, Army of Thieves, and a lot of you probably know him from WWE. But he's so much more than just that. He has chops, and I really look forward to seeing him where he goes in the future. Because I know he can, and I just can't wait for other directors to say, let's give him a shot in other genres. Because he's going to do it. And this movie also stars Rupert Grint. And obviously, most of you know him from the Harry Potter series. But he's also in the TV series, Servant. But coming up first, we're going to talk to M. Night. And this is a really cool interview. And a couple after that, I'll tell you about too. First of all, he talks about what drew him to this project and what kind of stories he's attracted to. It's just fun to get inside of a mind of this much talent to see what drives him and what he looks for when he looks for a project. Immediately after that, we're going to hear from a producer, Ashwin Rojan. And he talks about how this was a book. And when they were sitting down talking, M. Night said, you know, let me give a shot at this. And he goes into how they made slight changes from the book to the movie. But I, I love hearing about that process. And then we're going to hear from another producer, Mark Beanstalk. And I love what he talks about here. He talks about how M. Night focuses on movies about family. And he also gets into a little bit more about what the story is. I'm very drawn to stories of confinement and um, telling very large stories through a small window. That constriction, that, that balance, that juxtaposition of the size of the story and the way we're telling it really appealed to me and, and evoked my imagination uh, in a very powerful way. And I think movie making, especially going to the movie theaters, needs to be a very experiential thing at this point. Why do you, why do you leave your house and go to the movie theaters? Well, you want to have the deepest, most profound experience. And this type of storytelling where you um, count on the incompleteness of it. That's a whole thesis of storytelling that I ascribe to, that you don't fill in everything and let the audience member do the dance with you. This isn't a dance performed for them entirely, but you require them to get up and be part of the dance. And that incompleteness uh, that is inherent in these kind of stories where you're, you're very confined and you're imagining everything. I mean, Twilight Zone you know, lived off of that, uh, that, that 
conjuring of your imagination is is required to finish the painting. It's based on a book by Paul Tremblay, which we were actually familiar with, and we really loved the setup of the book. And the idea, the high concept was so compelling tonight that he just one day we were in a meeting. He's like, well, what if I rewrite this and direct it? And we were all like, amazing. So, um, you know, he really had a, a, a real connection to the piece uh, and a take on it that was, you know, feel, ma- that made it feel very contained, but also very profound uh, and really kind of underlined the big idea, the biblical kind of implications behind the movie. So he decided to do a pass. Um, again, we love the book, but we made some changes um, just based on kind of the movie turning into a film as opposed to reading it as a, you know, literary piece. Um, and that started the process. So as he wrote it, he fell in love with it, and we decided let's let's go make it. This this would be the next night movie. The one thing that's consistent with Knight is uh, his movies sent around family, and and there's an emotional journey that you know the characters in the audience take with with each of his films. And so that journey and the emotion he's touching on and the family experience is a little different in each. So Knock at the Cabin is uh, a story about a family of 3 who take a vacation, basically rent an Airbnb on a lake in the woods and uh and then they have uh, some unexpected visitors who stop by and uh and overstay their welcome. <laughs> All right. Now, if you're a first-time listener, I have to tell you something real quick. This is originally a TV show that I turned into a podcast. Reason I say that, up next, we're going to have a featurette. Now, in this featurette, we have clips to, from the movie, slight interviews that you may have heard a little bit earlier and you might hear even later on. But within these interviews, they have scenes from the movie and on-the-set footage and in the TV show, you could actually see this. So you're not just listening to it. It makes sometimes a little bit more sense. And at the end of this show, I'm going to give you that site in case you want to ever watch this or any other podcast on demand whenever you want. And on the, on the TV version, you don't see or hear me. All it is is interviews and everything else that goes with it. So I'll give you that at the end of the show. But in the meantime, here's that featurette. And in this featurette, Here's some here some from some more of the actors and people involved just talking about this film a little bit more. There is a family and their home is invaded by four strangers who have been asked to make a choice of sacrifice to save humanity. Why are you here? I suppose I'm here to make friends with you. And your dad's too. I believe in this type of storytelling that when you come to the movie theater, you want to see something incredibly powerful, incredibly emotional, experiential, but you want it to be bigger than life and feel something bigger than life. There is no place to run. There's no place to hide. So I think it's like layers of nightmares in this film. I'm very drawn to stories of confinement and telling very large stories through a small window. That constriction, that balance, that juxtaposition of the size of the story and the way we're telling it is very exciting to me. Families throughout history have been chosen to make this decision. 
Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you. If you fail to choose, the world will end. It just takes you on this journey of your imagination, just going to the worst places. But I think that's what makes it terrifying. I think it's just that feeling of being unsafe. something quite seductive about apocalypse movies I've always found. It kind of combines two of my biggest nightmares, uh, home invasion and the apocalypse. I suppose what really struck me was that it was brave enough to go on a kind of deeply spiritual journey, even though it's in a very interesting and kind of shocking way. And that's the, the goal I try to aspire to, that we make a movie that feels singular. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I love hearing about actors talking about when they first talked to the director about a script and how those conversations went. So we're going to have that coming up next. First, we're going to hear from Rupert Grint, and then we're going to hear from Dave Bautista, and they both talk about that, meeting with M. Night and the conversations. And again, I just eat this stuff up, because you always want to know, how does that go? What happens in that little world? Because we never see that, and it's just fun to know that this is what, how it went down. And then after Dave's interview, we're going to hear from Rupert again. And he's going to be talking about how, how just he loved working with Dave and how his character has to carry most of the dialogue, the, like the heavy lifting, like he says, for this film. And then we're going to hear from Dave again. And he's going to talk about, talk about the character a little bit more. And what it's, for him, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. And it's, it's great to hear this. Because he wants to do more. And like I said earlier in the show, he's going to do more. He has that charisma. He has the it factor that I think down the line, he's going to be able to do comedy. He's going to do action. And I, I just read an interview recently. You probably did too. He would love to do a rom-com. And why not? And he, you know, if you got the chops and you want to do it, I think he could do it. And we would love him in that because I could see him doing that. So I say everybody out there in the entertainment world, Get on the bandwagon and let the man roll, because you know he could do it. And then after that, we're going to hear from M. Knight, and he's going to talk about just how much he enjoyed working with David, that he knew he could do this role, and he's never done this kind of stuff before, but he knew he wanted to have him to do it. And then after that, we'll go back to David, talking about working with M. Knight, and just what a, what a brilliant mind he is in this, what he brings to this project. He sent me the script and I didn't really, he didn't really tell me a lot about it. He just said there was this, it's this story, there's a cabin. <laughs> um, um, and I read it and it, yeah, I mean, it was combined two of my biggest nightmares, uh, home invasion and the apocalypse. Um, and yeah, I mean, it stayed with me a long time because I think it forces you to kind of put yourself in the situation and kind of think, what would you do? Um... And yeah, I mean, it's just deeply disturbing and, and pitched. At, I mean, this is such a fever pitch of kind of conflict, and yeah, I mean, there was just so much, so much going on, and, and all confined in this one space with kind of very few characters. So it was, yeah, I found it really, really powerful, really moving. We had a conversation, and Knight didn't offer me a job or say anything about <laughs> knock at the cabin. 
And then uh, we set up another Zoom call for when I get home, and I think we had another conversation, maybe two more conversations, uh, before he actually told me there was a project he was working on. <laughs> and uh, he said he wanted to send me the script. Um, and I think he just wanted to feel me out. And uh, I think he was kind of familiar with, with my career, but, you know, like you pointed out, this is very different from anything I've ever done. So I think, he, I, just, I think he wanted to know me as a human being before he started talking to me about working with him. Dave is amazing. He's He's got this just incredible presence. I mean, he's physically just this kind of mountain of a man. Um, and just really sweet and just, just a lovely guy. And yeah, I mean, he's got some huge, like, really, I mean, he, he really has the heavy lifting <laughs> with the, uh, the dialogue. And, um, he's great. I mean, it's, it's so deceptive. He's kind of, you look at him and you think, um, is this kind of big, kind of strong, quite intimidating looking guy, but he's just got this such gentle um, kind of uh, nature. Man, this character is really, I mean, he's weighted. And there's like all the chunky dialogue, and I was like, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Like, this is what I've been waiting for, because I, I roles like this don't get offered to guys like me. You know, I'm typically, everybody wants me for action stuff, and they kind of, you know, I've kind of been fighting to get out of that box, but people naturally, and I understand why, want to put me in that box, because I just, I fit the bill, and I'm I'm good at action. I play that guy, I can be that guy, but I want the deeper roles because I want to prove myself as an actor. So those roles are just super few and far between, uh, especially leads, it just, it just don't happen. So uh, this is kind of the opportunity that I've been wanting for years and years and years. After like three days on the set, after three days of, of shooting, he was like, he came over to me and he goes, I've said more dialogue today in these three days than I have in my entire career in front of the camera. And um, I never worried about it because he was the right human being. And I know he was, you know, a, a little bit nervous, but came with such commitment. Um, he's so tough on himself, so I don't need to be tough on him. Now, they were just talking about Dave and what he brings to this role. Now, up next, we have another featurette for you. In this featurette, it's primarily about David. You'll hear M. Night talking about him, and you'll hear Dave talking about the project himself. And like I said, at the end of the show, I'll give you the website so you can watch this in case you want to, because within these featurettes, there's a lot going on, not just the interviews. So here's that featurette kind of highlighting David's part in this role. This is... um been by far the most challenging um, project I've ever done. This is the role, like literally this is the role that I've been waiting in. And it's really to, it's, it's, it's to, it's to prove myself, it's to prove my worth. New centered. The premise of the film is there is a family, a couple who have adopted a child and they're vacationing. And their home is invaded by four strangers who have been asked to make a choice of sacrifice to save humanity, save the world from the apocalypse. The role of Leonard is very specific. He's like a giant, physically intimidating, and uh, has to do these horrific things, but is actually incredibly gentle, like, like a teacher. When I met Dave, Dave is this character. We were called and are united by a common vision, which has now become a command that we cannot ignore. He 
came to me and basically convinced me that he would do anything. And I believed him, that he would do anything for me, and he did. I think throughout, it's just been a challenging film. It's been a challenging project. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. Now, I think we all know this. This is not breaking news. M. Night is just a phenomenal director. What he's done to the this to the whole genre is amazing. And it's just it's just wonderful to watch him work. And we're gonna hear from a couple actors talking about that. First we're gonna hear from Ben Aldrich, who plays Andrew. You might know him from the TV series Our Girl and Fleabag, and also the very recent film, Spoiler Alert. And then we're gonna hear from Rupert Grint, also just singing the praises of M. Night. Knight has his own process and also his own kind of philosophy about filmmaking and about acting as well so I think like I've really enjoyed um, slotting into what his version of making a film is and it's very it's very individual to him so it's uh, yeah it's been a pleasure to kind of like learn from him and be on this it is a wild film it's a wild ride of a story Um, uh, but yeah it's really really exciting to be part of it I think he's an absolute genius in this genre and, and as a storyteller um, but yeah I think you, you kind of develop this kind of kind of second language really we kind of we're on the same page and his direction is just he has this way of putting notes into articulating notes in a way that kind of gets right to the heart of it and he doesn't really have to say a lot for you to understand exactly what he wants I love working with him he's just so warm and really nurturing um and yeah just just so i think yeah just really brave and like what we're seeing from him now is just some really bold storytelling he kind of expects kind of absolute kind of perfection and it's it's brilliant because it really kind of forces you to you can never really sit back and relax even if you're in a scene and you're just sat in a chair in the background he can see you um, and, you know, he, you have to be in it. And it's, um, yeah, I find it quite a thrilling way to work. Now, you just heard Rupert Grint talking about the process that M. Night goes through. Now, in that same vein, we're going to hear from Jonathan Groff. Now, you probably know him from, he played the voice of Kristoff in Frozen in 2013. He played King George in the 2020 version of Hamilton, Matrix Resurrections, and... The amazing TV show, Mindhunter. If you've never seen that, check that out. He plays Holden Ford. Mindhunter, incredible, amazing. You won't regret it. But in this interview, he talks about the the, the whole process of End Night. Check it out. In the preparation for this film and for all of his films, he blocks out every shot on a, almost like a, like a comic. He has little squares with the lines and people's faces and exactly what he wants to see. And so as a performer, you're not having to collaborate and talk about staging and blocking and maybe I go over here to pick up the thing and you go over there. No, he's got it all set up with all the moves. And in in that way, it is kind of like theater because it's like uh, pre-made choreography uh, and pre-made setups. And then it's your job to come in to those visuals that he's already set and bring them to life. And so I feel um, 
with those kind of restrictions and constraints make me feel incredibly free because I feel like all I have to think about is what's happening in the exact moment. Now, you've heard other people praise M. Night. Let's hear from the, the master himself, M. Night, talking about working with the actors and his whole the way about going through and things. And again, I could listen to somebody like this all day long. You could talk about technique, thoughts, ideas, until the cows come home. Because that's what makes a great director tick, getting inside their brain and being able to share it with us. Because a lot of times you watch a movie and you're like, well, why did they do this? Or what, what were they thinking? What's going on in their head? And I love this when just M. Night talks a little bit about that. I told all seven of the actors in Knock at the Cabin that every one of you has every right to feel bad for yourselves, given what's happening in the story. You're not allowed. You are not allowed. So find another way. You can get angry. You can get, you can use humor. You can use um, artifice to try to trick your way out of things. Find a weapon to fight, to stay alive. Cause we, we love watching characters uh, fight for their survival emotionally. I put every word or not word, the word that I chose not to put in there is, is done for a particular reason. And you may want to conform the dialogue to make it comfortable to make it easier to say, to but that hitch, that overstatement, that redundancy, or that awkwardness, or the flip of the, the, the verbiage of that, that's how I saw the character dealing with it. So before we go to let's change our change everything, okay, I want you to try as much as you can to get the original intention. Because if I give you that opportunity to let's change things, let's just constantly change things, Yes, I understand how that's expedient and we can get to a, uh, a, a truthful thing with an actor quickly. I get that, you know, and especially with TV and things and when you're rushing and you're doing, but we're not doing that. We are going to do this one shot and we're going to spend hours on it. So I want to talk to you about trying to get that hitch in there that was, that seems hard for you, that, that little weird like pause and why the, where does the anger come from? Why does that thing? I, let's talk about that rather than saying, I can't do it or, or I don't, I don't understand it. End of conversation or wouldn't it be easier to do that? And I always say, wow, you've really made it smoother. Did we improve it? Did, did you, did you, now it's easier to hear and easier to say and all that stuff. So we have those conversations. Um, it's because I've spent, you know, five, six, seven, eight months alone thinking about that. And the, in our instincts under, under complete duress and pressure sometimes can make us do, uh, things that are easier, but not necessarily better for, for the situation. Um, and we rehearse and I, in rehearsals, we talk through all of that. Now, any good movie challenges its audience. And in these next couple of interviews, we're going to hear people talk about that. We're going to hear from the producer, Ashwin Rajan. He's going to talk about how having different kind of people in these situations and how unique that really makes this movie feel. And then we're going to hear from Ben Aldrich. And he's just going to talk about the same concept about challenging the audience and trying to do something different. And after that, you hear from Jonathan Groff. And he's going to talk about how he felt like when he first read the script. He just, every time he, the more he read, he's just like, oh my goodness. It was just, I love hearing him talk about this. And then speaking of Groff, M. Night talks about him, about how open he is, how just completely unprotected he is when he's acting. And it's just really cool to hear a director talk about that. Because 
I can't even imagine that kind of world where here you are surrounded by hundreds of people on set and they suddenly go, action. And all of a sudden you have to totally let go of everything. And that's what, until you try to do it, you don't really appreciate how good of actors these people are because you got to be completely emotionally naked, for lack of a better word, and just not even worry. You have to block out everything sometimes to do a role, or not sometimes, but all the time. And I know I don't think I could do it. And it's just fun hearing N. Knight talk about that whole process with about Graf. At the center of it, it can be perceived as a, as a home invasion movie. But then you go one step further and you see there's a family, a really unique family at the center of this with colors that we've never seen. And, you know, uh, a gay couple. And again, as I mentioned, an adopted daughter, which I just think is very fresh for the audience. Um, you know, we all have different relationships in different ways. And I think seeing, seeing them at the center of it, you know, again, there's a love story there. So you add that element on top of the home invasion aspect. And then the third element, which again, Knight's very adamant about, is at the center of it, this big high concept of what, what would you do? You know, asking the audience this question. If you had to save your family or save humanity, I just think that's such a powerful, profound question that people may have different answers to. And I think those, all those three things together make, make this hopefully feel really unique and fresh. All of Knight's films kind of, um, uh, I think, encourage their audience to challenge their reality and what they believe in. Um, and I think, I think this film's probably doing that more directly than any film that he's made. I think it's throwing up all these really direct, confronting questions that are like life's riddles. And they're like encapsulated in this unconventional, like domestic family setting. And um, I think it's like, yeah, I think it's a really good movie to watch for where we're at in the world. When I read the script, I was breathless through the entire thing. I felt great anxiety and confusion and excitement and shock and horror. And I basically read the entire script like this. <gasps> like, what is going to happen? What are they going to choose? What is happening right now? Uh, the whole thing, I read it so quickly. Um, and it just kind of scared me in a, in a deep in a deep kind of profound way. To sense someone so incredibly open and receive it like that, it force, it shatters all of the things that you have in you. Um, and that's true for him when you're just speaking to him, uh, you know, as a human being, so giving. He, de he, does, he doesn't protect himself at all, not even a little bit. Um, just an extraordinary human being to be around and an extraordinary actor to direct. Um, uh, I, I can't say enough about him. I'm still trying to understand what, how Jonathan exists in the world. <laughs> now, this movie, to its credit, which is really great, it is diverse all over the place. It's not your typical horror film where this family is, you know, husband and wife, you know, 2.4 kids or whatever it may be. No, this one, it's just just a story, but it's just two gay guys who adopted this little girl, and that's the family. And up next, we're going to hear the producer, Ashwin, talk about how him being an immigrant in M. Night, how important it is to have all kinds of people represented. Is that the right word? Represented? You know what I mean. Have 
everybody treated the same and just in the movie. And then we're going to hear from M. Night, and he's going to go really a bit more in depth about the process and how he felt when he was directing. It was a gay couple, and that he he's totally forgot about it. It wasn't like, okay, this is what we're doing. We got to do it this way. We got to do it that way. It was just a natural thing. It was just really cool hearing him talk about that. And then we're going to hear from Jonathan Groff. Sorry about that guy. My Sorry about that, guys. My, my voice was kind of dissipating there. And Groff talks about that. He talks about that he finally gets to be in a movie like this, a horror film on this magnitude, and he gets to be himself. And he's just it's and it's not lost on him. So it's really kind of cool to really hear him appreciate that and just get into that. It's a natural lean, you know, for Knight as and and for us as a company. You know, he he is an immigrant. Um, he was born in India. You know, as was I. We have family all over the world in Malaysia and Europe and you know Latin America, and so it's very important to us to be able to tell stories that represent people from all over the world. Um, you know, and and even just from a audience perspective, I think the audience feels the integrity in that. That is the way the world is. You know, especially. Um, as we kind of move into this day and age where we're all so connected and um, we want to feel that connection to each other. But it, it's, it's a big priority for us and it's just a natural uh, kind of lean as, as you know, being, being immigrants ourselves. I completely forget that, that it's about a gay couple, honestly. And I uh, just see it as a love story. Um, and strangely... And I told the guys this, that um, so, so strangely attached to their expression of love and the way they told their love between them uh, in this tale that I, you know, I just saw myself in this story as, as a straight guy. I, that's what love feels like to me, too. And, and then maybe in some way, because it's marginalized or... Um, precarious and vulnerable and, and the world isn't quite a place that's nurturing of that. I respond to that as well in some personal way saying, you know, I know it's extremely hard for all of us to be who we are. We're, we're told uh, how to conduct ourselves. What is, what is smart? What is fashion? What is this? We're, we're told everything. And yet each of us are this wonderful color and, uh, it feels sometimes the things that are pokey about us that are different, uh, we squash that down and then we don't feel really great about ourselves. So seeing two people being incredibly courageous and, and just telling a story that would normally just been told with a, with a typical husband wife story and just having it told with these two people, uh, super, super moving. I was saying, I, I, I was as a, as a viewer watching as we shot this and made this, I was feeling things that I've never felt before for protagonists. I was seeing dynamics that were fresh and new. So, um, seeing love through another, another angle was really, really a beautiful thing for just for me. And I, I, you know, uh, didn't expect that. It was different when we were growing up 20 years ago. Um, acceptance of, sexual identity was in a, just in a totally different place and we've come so far since then and we are pinching ourselves that we get to be in this you know hollywood horror movie um as gay actors 
playing gay characters in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. I mean, this would not have been the case 15 years ago. And that specialness and that progress that we're benefiting from is not lost on us. And it's such a cool opportunity to just be ourselves in a movie, in a, in a, in a scary, in a fun, kind of interesting, scary movie. Okay, up next, we're going to hear from the producer, Mark Beanstalk, and he's going to talk about what he feels was M. Night's intention behind this film. My take on, on Knock at the Cabin and Night's intention is, uh, yes, to, to provoke thought and for us all to reflect and how to relate with these characters, you know, and what would we do in these circumstances. And, um, you know, I think there's a relationship to, to the Bible in the story, right? And, you know, what are we willing to sacrifice for the, for the, for the greater good and, uh, um, and, and family and love and that being unconditional and also we live in a time where you know there's a ton of information available to us what's real what's not real how do we decipher what to believe and so i think these are all questions and themes that are being contemplated in in knock at the cabin and um you know and uh but i've i've you know contemplated these and i think when you watch the movie you walk away hopefully with you know being entertained and you know and, and think about that now we're going to hear a little bit more about theme and idea and what the story's about and what they feel the message is behind this film. First, we're going to hear from Nikki Amaka Bird, and she was in the 2015 film Jupiter Ascending, and then 2021 Old, and 2022 The Outfit. And if you haven't seen The Outfit yet, incredible, awesome movie. That's The Outfit. I strongly recommend you seeing that film. You will not regret it. But in this interview, she talks about the, the story a little bit more and just things, you know, more involved with that. And then we're going to hear from David Batista, and he's going to talk about what he feels is the meaning behind his film. And then finally, we'll hear from M. Night. This is one of those stories where immediately you start to think how, if this was happening to me, what would I do? And that goes on many different levels. You've got your basic invasion story at the beginning where we've all had that nightmare. God, what if someone broke into the house or got into the building? So you go from like a survival story, which immediately grips the, the audience, to um, to a kind of a moral, ethical, spiritual dynamic that the audience then has to ask themselves, well, what do I think about that? Can I even believe in that? It is terrifying. <laughs> I think even by night's standards, everyone's a little bit shaken by this by this story. There are things that happen in this movie that I, I would guess that people have never seen happen before. Um, and as performers, you know, night is challenging us. He's challenging us to push our own boundaries creatively, to have faith in him. He's having faith in us. You know, I think artistically that can be like just a really great breeding ground for creativity and inspiration is to ask people to kind of go past their comfort zones. And in this story, it's, I, I say robust because, you know, it's like the scene that we're shooting right now, we're talking about sacrifice on a, on a level, sacrificing your, your life in in almost like an ancient and primal way, which none of us 
you know, have ever explored anything like that before. So we're all putting our trust in Knight completely. And and I think he's putting his, his trust in us as well, that if we tell the story correctly, it'll go past the kind of shocking, sensationalist aspects of the story and go into something deeper and something moving and hopefully touching as well. The biggest message in this, is, again, is just sacrifice. You know, uh, help somebody, you know, help people out. You know, people, I'm willing to give up something I have to help some, you know, somebody else who doesn't, who has less. You know, don't be so greedy. You know, be uh, willing to love. The things that restrain us as human beings, our fears, uh, are things that we have to go at. We can't, I mean, we most of us don't, right? Most of us avoid the things we're scared about and try to make our lives conform to experiences that don't uh, trigger us don't trigger our, our fear capacity. And so maybe we don't grow. Maybe we don't experience things because we're scared. We don't travel. We don't, we don't date that person because we're not sure it's going to work out or we don't take that job or whatever it is. Um, and we confine ourselves. And I think just the basic premise of taking fear as the primary emotion that is afflicting the main characters and having them, because circumstances won't allow them otherwise, to punch through that fear to get to the other side, I think is it's structurally, emotionally a beautiful thing for audiences to feel like, wow, if I go at my fears and I experience the worst possible thing, my worst thing I can imagine, I can come out on the other side and I'm still standing or I learned something uh, important that resonates with audiences. So I do find uh, this genre uh, very hopeful and a great vehicle for saying powerful things, things that can stick to us. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. N. Knight is the man. What a talent. He has given us so much great stuff. And I just look forward to anything and everything he puts out. Because this is, I can't even deny it. What a master of what he does. Now, I hope you enjoyed our in-depth look at Knock at the Cabin. Now, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, any way to improve the show, let me know cinemajudge at hotmail.com or go to Instagram, TikTok, wherever you want to go. I'm on most platforms. I would love to hear your feedback because I can't grow if I don't know. So let me know what I'm doing right, what I can do better or do less of, whatever you think, because that's what I want. I want you to keep coming back. And if you keep coming back, that's good. So let me know what I can do better. And like I said earlier in the show, this is originally a TV show that I convert into this podcast. So if you want to watch this or any other show, go to either Bloomington, Minnesota's webpage and look up Cinema Judge or go to bit.ly backward slash Cinema Judge. And several of the shows will show up. And you can watch them any, anytime you want on demand. But now it's one of my favorite parts of this show. It's shout-out time, where I give a shout-out to everybody who listened to the last episode. So I, I truly hope, everybody all around the world, I hope my voice finds you well. Because I love hearing about how you listen to the show. Some of you do it when you're working out. Some of you when you're driving to work, coming home from work, or just sitting nonchalantly at home, whatever. And even some of you might be listening it weeks later, a year later, whenever it may be. I just love hearing about that because I'm not going to lie to you. I love it that you guys take time out of your life to listen to this show and maybe learn about a movie more than maybe you would have thought of. 
So wherever, whenever, or whatever you're doing, this is for you. All my listeners from around the world, it was really fun this week who listened to last week's episode from the United States, Germany, a lot of you from Germany, also Australia, Peru, Vietnam, Mexico, and from the Russian Federation, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Columbus, Ohio, New York, New York, Brisbane, Queensland, Littleton, Colorado, Yukon, Oklahoma, Morrisville, Pennsylvania, Arlington Heights, Illinois, California, what's up, Valencia, California, Farmington, Minnesota, Cleveland, Tennessee, Cottage Grove, Minnesota, Patterson, Louisiana, and Trahizo La Libertad. Oh, I got that one horribly wrong, but thank you. But in also uh, Patterson, Louisiana, South Haven, Minnesota, Frankfurt AM, Maine, Hess, Tam Kai Tin Kwan Nam, Sonario, or no, S-O-N-O-R-A, and from Moscow, Every one of you, whether I butchered your name there or not, don't think for one second. When that stuff popped up during the week, I truly did a happy dance because I'm like, wow, I'm I'm, I'm just always honored at you, know, you guys listening. And for those of you who listen to the show and share it or tell a friend, I really appreciate that. The more the merrier, I always say. But now it's the bourbon shout out. This week's, it goes out to the entire crew at the Holiday Gas Station. You know who you guys are. Here I am. I often come in there late at night from working my second gig. I'm hungry. I got the, I just, I'm hungry. And I always go there to get those cheeseburgers. Man, those things are good. Even if they're not there, you try to look in back and find me some because you're just great. And you don't even have to do that. And I appreciate it. So every one of you at the Holiday Gas Station will always go out of your way to find me my cheeseburgers, I am truly grateful to you. So to you guys, cheers. But now it's the music section. Now, if you have never listened to this show before, this is what I do when I'm making a TV version of this. I'm sitting down here in the basement like I am now, but I have my tunes just cranked because it's my happy time. I have movies happening here and music happening here. I'm doing air drums, you name it, I'm jamming. So sometimes it takes me way too long to do the TV version of this because I'm just way too much into the tunes. It's it's my Achilles heel, if you will. So I first started off with this band from the 80s. They had one hit. It wasn't even a hit. I think it just made maybe the top 40 MTV, you know, video of the week type things. Maybe it was like top, whatever it was. It didn't make it very far. But the band is called The Unforgiven. And the song that they did have was I Hear the Call. But every song in this album just brings back unbelievable memories for me. Because you know how sometimes there's those albums that have baggage to it? Either a song, you know, you think of somebody or else there's baggage attached to a lot of bands that we listen to. For me, The, the Unforgiven, pure joy. It's, it's, there's no negativity attached to them at all. I just have great memories of that era. And every song on there, it's either a kind of a Western title song, or it's a Clint Eastwood movie title, like Hang em High, The Gauntlet, but other songs are With My Boots On. You know, it's it's just littered with great songs, and it just makes me smile. And people who know me, <laughs> who have talked about this album throughout my life, because when I first got it, I got it on tape. But it just, it's just great. If you ever have a chance, look them up on 
whatever device you have. And that's called the Unforgiven. It is, they're just, they were just awesome. I love them. It was pure joy for me. And then I moved on to Billy Joel's Greatest Hits, Volume 1 and 2. And then I moved on to The Cure's Greatest Hits. Because I tell you what, I wish back in the day when they came out, I would have been more appreciative of their great work. Because now I'm like, man, The Cure just were just smoking. They had great songs. The talent that they had is really quite impressive. But I remember at the time I was so single-mindedly into it has to be either rock and roll or from the 60s, 70s and whatever. And I didn't really take time to appreciate a band like The Cure. But I know they are great now. So, I mean, every blue, every blue moon I throw on their greatest hits. And, you know, because, hey, they're a great band. And then I was nearing the end of the editing and I was, you know, getting there. I just needed a little something to, you know, get me through that last push. Then I put on, on my device, I have like a, you know, how you can create your own files. I have one for the Valley Girl album. You know, the one with Nicolas Cage and Deborah Foreman, that movie. Oh, I tell you what, those songs from that movie, just timeless. So one time I couldn't find the album. So I went online and found out every song that was on the original album or in the movie. And I made my own little list of all those songs. And it, honestly, just the memories of that movie, that era, that time. I salute everybody involved in that movie and that album. It's just top notch. Thanks, everybody. That was a great album and great time. And just one little more segment before we sign off here. Last night, you know how sometimes you get when you, you're up late, you have all the time in the world because you don't have to work the next day or what have you. I was just in a mood. And I was like, you know what I need? I need Casablanca. So what do you do? I had to put on Casablanca. I mean, what? come on. If you have never seen it, you got to throw it down and watch it. It is legendary. It's everything you always wanted to be. It's... <laughs> I mean, almost my life, I've just been a Bogart fan. You just can't ask for much more in a movie. And I remember this real quick side note. My friend and I, when we were going to college, we'd we'd go out to the bars, whatever. We'd come back in the middle of the night, and then we just threw in that VC, VHS and watch, you know, Casablanca until you passed out or you went to sleep. It's just a great memory for me. So I I threw down that last night and just had, I had a bowl of popcorn. And I was still in a mood. And then I threw on one of my all-time favorite Westerns, The Wild Bunch. If you've never seen The Wild Bunch, you must, you must, you must check that out from 1969. Sam Peckinpah, just a masterpiece in filmmaking. So that was my guilty pleasures for last night, Casablanca and The Wild Bunch. It was just a stellar night for me. I just I just had to throw that out there just just because. Well, that is it. My glass awaits. I'm thirsty. So cheers to you and to the movies. So until next time, be well, be good, and I'm gone. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Judge. (laughs) 